Thank you for listening to this sermon by Grace Point Church. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at gracepointaz.com, or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday morning. Good morning, Grace Point Church. Thank you for being here. If you'd please stand for the reading of God's Word. If you'd like to follow along uh, with the reading and need a Bible, they can be found in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take this one home. Or if you know somebody who needs a Bible, please take this one and give it to them. We'd love for you to have God's Word in your hands throughout the week. Today's scripture will be taken from the book of Titus, chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. And in those Bibles, that can be found on page 999. Follow along with me as I read. When I, said, or when I sent Arminius, or Tychicus, to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who you love, who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Please pray with me. Jesus, thank you for this day, God. I thank you for this church. I just pray that you would be with Pastor as he brings the message to us. God, we love you and thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're good. You're good. I was going to grab the other one. Real quick, I want to, yeah, go ahead and have a seat. I want to introduce Daniel. Some of you guys have met him. He's came and preached a few times in the last couple months. Um, But Daniel is coming from Valley Life Tremonto, who's actually our sending church. It's the church that we are planted from in 2014. And so they're huge on church planning. We're huge on church planning. And so we get to partner with them and giving Daniel some reps. Uh, I get to go to breakfast with him every now and then, lunch, and just hang out and get to know him more. And so he's going to be planting a church next year. So he'll be taking that step to be a lead pastor. And so uh, you guys go ahead and give him a warm welcome as he starts the sermon up. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be with my Grace Point family. Uh, y'all are the second church I ever preached at. And so it's just a special place when I get to come here. And y'all have been so kind to me, always received me really well. Um, so uh, Pastor Tyler gave me the privilege to share this scripture today. I don't know if he tricked me too, because there's only four verses again. Every time he calls me, it's like there's only a few verses. And so he's like, make sure Daniel handles that. Let's call him up here. Um, but, but you guys have been studying Titus. We've been in that word, and today is the, the 10th Sunday that we'll be in Titus. We're actually closing it out, so I really am honored that uh, I'm allowed to be here as the closer for this whole book. Um, I want to talk about what we've learned so far, but first I want to talk about what I want you to think about today, and that's that I want you to think about unity in mission. You're not going to hear me say that a lot, but that's what I want. This, this, the main idea that you take home today is how we're unified as the church. So over the last nine weeks, uh, we're reading this letter in Titus. Paul is writing Titus, who is uh, in charge of the Cretan church, the church in Crete. We've uh, walked through faith. We've uh, walked through hope, walked through diligence. We've talked about elders and fruitfulness. We talked about what godly men and women look like. We've learned that in anticipation of Christ's coming, that we should rebuke all evil and submit to authority. We were reminded how once we were the enemies of Christ, and because of that, God still died for our sins, and we turn our gratitude into an outreach for those who are still the enemies of Christ. Last week, Pastor Tyler talked about how we are to live our lives pursuing good works and avoiding evil. 
And so this whole book is about Paul teaching Titus to teach the Cretan church and others what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. It may look like we're just reading a simple sign-off or a salutation at the end of his letter, but there's actually so much that the text is revealing to us. If we don't pay attention to the text today, we can easily fall into this trap of, uh, you know, Monopoly have like a get-out-of-jail-free card? Like some people treat Christianity as their get-out-of-hell-free card. That's not, that's not all. There's um, a privileged labor to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. This seemingly simple farewell reveals three aspects of Christian living. Paul shows Titus to teach the Cretan church to go, to send, and to serve. So let's talk about each of those. Starting at Titus 3.12, let's talk about going. He says, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. At the time of this letter, Titus has already followed Paul to be with the Cretan church. And now Paul is telling Titus, I need you to leave there and come where I'm at now because you're more needed here. What that shows us is that Titus understands that part of being a Christian is having your yes on the table when it comes to the Great Commission, which says, go, go into the world and to make disciples. Some of you need to put your yes on the table. As a church planner, we feel this. Me and my wife uh, are on both sides. We had to put our yes on the table and God, God called it. We came here from Georgia and we gave up. I mean, we were living across the, the street from my family. We were a very tight-knit family. We had a big yard with grass. We had a long driveway. We could have a lot of people over, not these little two-car driveways where you have to hope you can uh, not block somebody else if you have a friend come over. Uh, I'm not complaining. I just want you to know, like, we gave up comfort. To, to come and do what God called us to. And I'm also not boasting. Why I'm telling you this, I want you to know that what I'm telling you today, I actually believe. And then the other side of that coin is, we're praying for people like you, that who uh, already have a love for the Lord, that you would come with us, that people would come and help us reach people in a, a new location, the lost <clears throat> world around us. This church itself was founded because of church planning. Pastor Tyler talked about Valley Life. Um, people came here, they uprooted their family in order to reach people in surprise. You know, Pastor Vance that just went back home, he came from Oklahoma. And then when he came here, he brought seven or eight families from Valley Life who helped get this thing started. They left the church they were deeply connected to and they came and planted in a new place. And now we celebrate Pastor Vince is coming, guys. And I'm super excited for that. We've been praying for you guys for a long time. And now Pastor Vince is coming. He's coming from Illinois. So side note, please next week just blow it out. Invite your friends, your neighbors, your family. Let's just fill this place up and just make it a really warm welcome for them. But is your yes on the table? Like those who have come before to, to be a part of um, surprise, is your yes available to God if he says to go? And go doesn't always mean that you physically are going to move. Maybe, maybe you will. But we do know that every Christian is commanded to share the good news of God's love to the world around us. There are lost people in your city. They're in your neighborhood. They're in your children's schools. Some of you, they're in your home. And so go for you might mean go outside of your comfort zone. Meet people in their filth. And let's echo what God says in Isaiah. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. So to your neighbors and your friends and the people around you that think they're too dirty for church, remind them 
that you were the enemy of God and he died on the cross and gave you the gift of salvation, that thing, uh, the same very thing is available to them. Perhaps you have the desire to say yes, but fear is standing in the way. Maybe you have the desire, but you just don't know how to pursue the lost. Paul's revealing in verse 12 the key to how we handle that also. See, as I'm learning to preach the, the last two weeks, God has just really pressed upon my heart. Make sure what you're preaching has transformed your heart first. I'm not gonna bring it to you and not have it transform my life. And what I've been um, shown in the text today is the importance of setting goals and of planning. Paul knew that winter was coming and it was not a time uh, for a lot of traveling due to the weather conditions. It's probably why he says, do your best, is that if Titus didn't plan accordingly and try and leave at the appropriate time, he might not get there when he needed to be there. He also uh, chose Nicopolis, which the, the scholars have tried to understand as best they can. But what we do know is that what they believe is that was the further, as most west as Paul had gotten. And he was preparing to head towards Spain, which was a huge goal. He always mentioned in other letters, I hope to get to Spain and, and share the gospel there. And so he's uh, kind of made a, a planning station. Your pastors might do this. I know pastors at other churches have a pastor's retreat. It's a time where they bring together all of their uh, plans for the entire next year like what the sermons may be. They plan when they're gonna be on vacation to make sure everything's covered for every Sunday. But Paul's using this time as a strategic planning season. He's also planning to make sure that Artemis or Tychicus is gonna be there so that they can relieve Titus and let Titus lead the Cretan church without leaving the Cretan church unpastored. He's thinking of the logistics of what has to happen in order for the mission to happen well, to be um, successful. Paul shows the Cretan church to develop plans, but he's also showing Titus how to pastor, how to lead a church by thinking strategically. Planning is essential to execution. I don't know if you've ever heard someone says, failing to plan is planning to fail. We need a plan. And I'm not to say that uh, we don't listen to the Holy Spirit. We make a plan. And if we need to be flexible because God speaks into our hearts, we obviously do what he says. But we still need to have a plan. I want to give you a little behind-the-scenes preview of what churches are doing. And uh, as I've been training with Valley Life, they let me sit in some of their meetings. They just met over a month ago, and they planned all of 2024's facility usage. January through December, every uh, activity and event that should happen on their campus. As a church planner, we're planning steps that are going to help us prepare and be ready to launch. We're considering our leadership needs, our financial needs, we're looking at the timeline of how things need to happen and the location that we're going to be in. We also had to pass an assessment with the North American Mission Board. They checked to make sure that we have plans to make this thing have the highest uh, chance of success as possible. And it's not just ministry plans. They also taught us to have personal growth plans to make sure that we're fed and nurtured as a pastor and pastor's wife. Your pastors here have planned. In fact, the sermons are planned out for another four months, and they've been there on the charts for quite some time. Each Sunday, you have people here that are scheduled to serve on a security team, tech team, children's, the worship team. You've got connections, a scripture reader, your hospitality or welcome team. These things are planned to make Sunday successful. And you do this yourself. You plan your meals for the week. You plan your vacations. I know uh, if you have a vacation coming, you spend a whole lot of time looking at pictures and checking the uh, dining restaurants around that area. You plan these things. You plan birthday parties. You plan your weekend when you're just trying to get through that Monday to Friday uh, business week. You're just like, what's, what's happening on the weekend to get me there? 
But do you have a plan for reaching the lost? Are you just hoping somebody's gonna bump into you and say, hey, tell me about Jesus? Or do you have a list of people that you um, are taking to God in prayer and asking God to soften their heart? Are you being intentional to show the world around you the love of God? Parents in the room, do you have a plan to reach uh, your uh, children, to grow them up in the way of the Lord and to place spiritual kindling around their heart, hoping that the Holy Spirit will ignite it? Or are you just bringing them to church and hoping that sticks? Church, do you have a plan to reach the younger generations? And without abandoning sound doctrine, are you making sure that you create a place where they wanna be and experience Jesus Christ, raising them to be the leaders of the next generation when this generation goes home? Or instead, are you making decisions based on what is comfortable to those who are already secured and to those um, who have established themselves here? See, your salvation is for God's glory. It was um, beyond you. The mission's beyond me. And it was beyond the Cretan church in our text today. So put your yes on the table. It's not a scary thing. It's actually a good thing. It's an exciting thing. So go and plant a church. Go be a missionary. Go to China or Africa. Maybe to Buckeye. Maybe go to Bell and Reams. I just found out in between the services, there's a pastor in ICU right now. If y'all be praying for him, I don't know his name, uh, but he was in Glendale and he went to a corner and just declared the gospel and he's been shot uh, and he's, he's in ICU. I don't know how that's gonna uh, pan out, but pray for him and his family. But he understood his yes was on the table, Lord. These people need to hear your word. And he went to them. He went in his neighborhood. He didn't have to take a missions trip across the world. Before you tell me you're not qualified, I want to look at verse 13. It says, Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Zenos the lawyer isn't trying to show how qualified he is by calling him a lawyer. Zenos in their day and age would be a common name. It'd be like if I said, Hey, can you make sure you get John and bring him here? Oh, uh, John the electrician. You know John. So that's all that is. He's a, he's a, a, a person. That's um, like others in that time. But we can also look at the other person, Apollos. You might recognize him. He's the same Apollos from 1 Corinthians when they're talking about who do you follow. It says, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. Cephas is Peter, if you don't know that. But to think Paul, Peter, and Jesus himself. Apollos is named among the titans of our faith and of Jesus himself. And yet in Acts 18, if we look there, we see how he had to grow into ministry. It says, Acts 18, 24 through 28. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. When he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and they wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. Maybe you're like a young Apollos. But see, he didn't wait until he had it all figured out. 
He understood the urgency of the gospel. And so he took what he had and he took it to the people who needed to hear it. There is someone further along in you than in your faith. But you're also further along than someone else in their faith. And if it's of any comfort to you, to a person who doesn't know Jesus, anything you have to say that would reveal truth is news to them. They're not gonna be a scholar that can tell you more about the Bible than, uh, than you can tell them about Jesus. They can know every word in this book, but if they don't know him, you still are the expert to them on who Jesus is because you have the relationship. And what you lack, you can seek from God or you can reach out to those who are more, uh, who are more mature in their faith. That leads me to our point number two, uh, which we talked about going, that Christians also have a responsibility to sin, to send others who have answered their call to go. Look at Priscilla and Aquila. They poured into Apollos. And by connecting him with the disciples from afar, he was able to have a thriving ministry. Let's look back at 13. It said, do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Paul is teaching the global mission of the church through Titus to the Cretan church. And for those whose yes is on the table, and that does mean that they're going to have to pick up and move to a new location, there are resources that they need. I tried to think about what these are so we can uh, talk about them. And the biggest three needs I could think of were prayer, a team, and finances. So I'm going to go through each of those. Prayer being the first. It is the biggest need. It's also the greatest resource that you can offer to someone who's in mission, and yet it has the lowest cost. It's the easiest thing to give them, a little bit of your time to mention their name before God and to ask for his hand to go before them in their ministry. I can confirm that as a church planner, when I hear of someone who says, I'm praying for you and I'm praying for your church plant, it's, it's heartwarming. It helps me not feel alone because I, I promise you, your pastors might not tell you, but ministry can feel very lonely. But when you have people who are standing behind you in prayer and taking you to God, there's just something that, that it helps you get through some of the hard things you have to face. I came across this incredible story about intercessory prayer. There's a guy, uh, best I can pronounce his name, Tony Campolo. Maybe you've heard of him. But if not, the important thing is he was at a prayer meeting getting ready to go into a Presbyterian service. Eight men had said, I would like to pray for you before you go. Can we do that? And he said, yeah, that's good. And so the eight men come and they put their hands on his head and they begin to pray. And he said, I was just so energized by the, the spirit in that room. He said, but then they continued to pray. And their hands got heavy, and so they just relaxed them on my head. And then my neck got heavy, and my, my head began to hurt. So I got a little distracted, and I started listening to what they were doing a little out of key. And he said, one guy wasn't even praying for me. He's praying for this other guy. So the guy said, dear Lord, you know Charlie Stolzwitz. He lives in that silver trailer down the road, a mile, you know, on the right-hand side. And he's like, you don't need to tell God where this guy lives. He's God, Right? And so the guy keeps praying. He says, <clears throat> Lord, Charlie told me that this morning he's going to leave his wife and his three kids. Please, God, step in and do something. Bring that family back together. Well, that prayer time ends and he goes and he uh, does the service and he's driving home and he sees a hitchhiker on the side of the road. And he stops and asks the guy if he needs a ride. The guy says, yes. He gets in. He says, hey, my name's Tony. And the guy goes, my name's Charlie Stolzvis. He's like, oh, so without saying anything, when the next exit comes up, he gets off, turns around, and heads back. And I mean, you imagine you've gotten in the car with a stranger and direction changes. He's, Charlie's like, well, uh, excuse me, mister, where, where are we going? He says, I'm taking you home. And 
Charlie says, well, why are you doing that? Tony says, well, because you left your wife and your three kids this morning. Now you can imagine, Charlie is in shock, right? His eyes are bulging out of his head. He scoots close to the door and I was like, all right. Um, so, so he asked, you know, how did you know this? And Tony said, well, God just revealed it to me. And then because Tony had heard the guy pray where the directions were, he didn't ask, where's your house? He pulls into his driveway without saying anything. And now the guy just, you know, scared. He just hops out of the car, runs to the door and his wife meets him at the door. And he's, he's you, Tony watches him as he whispers in her ear like this, this guy brought me here. He knows my name. He knows what happened. Guy's completely perplexed. And Tony parks the car and he gets out and says, hey guys, let's talk. Please sit down. And at that moment, he actually ends up leading both the husband and the wife to the Lord Jesus Christ. The faithful prayer of a believer played a major part in the salvation of two people. And I'm not talking about Tony. I'm talking about the guy who prayed over Tony, who was listening to God, and he prayed what God put on his heart. And I also want you to hear how God answers prayers. His desire is that when we pray according to his will, that he can say yes. So pray. People that are prayer warriors, that's the people you need on your team. And that's that second thing we talked about, the biggest, or the, the big needs that people need. You need a team of people. And one of the cool things that you might know, if you were here from the beginning, is that when a church sends people to help church planters, they actually often send their best. They want to give that church plant the, the best chance of success because where they might lose their best, they probably have trained some other people who can be sharpened and grown into their role, but there's a whole existing church to support that need but they know that church plant is very fresh and everything uh, they put into it, they need to give their best. You may not be able to go, but you can support the decision of the people in your church. They might be your good, like dearest friends or major leaders. And rather than make them feel guilty or talk about how sad you are, they go, you can give them encouragement like Priscilla and Aquila did for Apollos. They, they poured into what he was doing and, and encouraged him to grow into his ministry. And they also rode ahead to the people where he was heading. Maybe you know somebody where a church planner is heading and you can't go to that place, but you can say, I know, uh, you know my aunt and uncle are out there or some friends of mine moved out there. I'm gonna let them know that you're coming. And here's their information. Maybe give their phone numbers so that church planner can reach out to them and build connections before he's even there. And send them with some money, all right? We don't like to talk about that in church. People think, oh, that's it. The church is always asking for my money. That's what it's about. Well, we are, if you're a Christian. But that's not the whole thing. The, the money is a tool to achieve the mission. See, when um, you look at a church plant, the first three years, three to five years, each year, it costs about $200,000. And that's not to make the pastor live in a mansion. That's going into the mission. And so if you don't help supply that to the pastor, he's gonna have to work a full-time job his spouse is probably going to have to work a full-time job. You know, pastors have like 20 kids, so then they got to take care of all of them too. So all of this, the needs aren't possible if it's just one family trying to go do this without God. But, but the reason God's given us the church body is so that we can work together to make the mission successful. And Paul isn't asking Titus to send these two men with everything they need just because they were good friends of his. What Paul is saying is, Titus, make sure they have what it, it takes to accomplish the mission. What is this mission? Why should we send people out? Romans 10 says that uh, in verse 13 through 15, if you want to follow, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And that's, that's the mission, that people would be saved, that God would receive glory by people uh, calling him Lord, by recognizing who he is. But verse 14 says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We send people into mission with the resources they need in order to yield fruit, to see lives changed by the gospel. So Christians, we have a responsibility to go somewhere with the gospel. We have a responsibility to send others where we cannot go. The third thing we talk about in these verses is we have a responsibility to serve. Verse 14 says, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help in cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. We should build unity by growing alongside each other in good works. It's our purpose. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's what it means to follow Christ. If you call yourself a Christian, a Christ follower, Mark 10 shows us, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So please don't get confused. I'm not preaching that you need to do good works because, um, in order to get saved. In fact, we do good works because we are saved. We do good works, it says, to help in cases of urgent need and to bear fruit. That's not two different thoughts. Paul is saying that to not help in cases of urgent need is to be unfruitful. If you remember last week, Pastor Tyler reminded us that good works are works that glorify the name of God. What better way can we glorify God than to be more like him? We say that imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. So let's imitate him. I want you to follow this little thought from uh, Matthew 3. We see it says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That word repentance in the Greek would be metanoia. It means a change of mind as it appears to one who repents of a purpose he has formed or of something that he has done. So we can see that repentance leads to the fruit of the Spirit. I was asking Pastor Brian from Valley Life, I want to make sure I handled the word of truth correctly. And when we were talking about the fruits, he said, Daniel, really the fruit of the Spirit is one fruit. That's to be more like Christ Jesus, the reflection of Christ. But we uh, do that and display that in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. So then if we are fruitful, if we have love and if we have kindness, then we will help in cases of urgent need. And what greater urgency, what greater need is there than the salvation of a lost person who so boldly abuses the patience of the Creator. Go after the lost. Do good works so that the world around you will experience the love of Christ. We'll begin to wrap up and look at verse 15. It says, all who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Even here, Paul reminds Titus to teach the unity that exists between those of the faith, between the church globally, and he says, grace be with you all. This is how Paul seems to wrap up all of his letters. If you look at all the letters in the Bible from Paul, he ends with something about grace. So if you read something that somebody says, that, this is Paul's writing and the last sentence is not something about grace, just be weary, okay? 
That's his signature. But it's not just that he's signing off with this. It's also that he's always reminding that the instructions that have come before are not there to bear weight and and just weigh us down. There's no fear of failure since the source of our ability is the grace alone has done the work in us. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. You don't go to your employer every week and say, thank you for my gift of a paycheck. You demand it because you've earned it. You've put in the work. But this is the gift of God. This is something you didn't earn. You couldn't earn. And God has given us his grace. And in fact, Titus, the book from Titus 1 to Titus 3 is kind of sandwiched with grace on the outside as the bread. He opens Titus 1 and he refers to the grace. And then he gives all of these instructions for a young church to understand their their walk and their purpose more uh, intently. And he closes, speaking of grace again. See, Christianity isn't about Jesus priming us through the cross to be able to earn our salvation. Jesus will be, he is, and he has always been the only solution. Today's message I've been speaking really heavily to you as believers, but it's likely that someone here doesn't know God. They don't know the love of Jesus Christ. And for you, everything I've said is probably confusing. We're asking a lot of things uh, to do as a service and a work, and we're talking about this Jesus guy. You don't know who that is. But what I want you to know is that the life you're, you're dealing with, the life you're living, with the things of this world that are Uh, just disgusting, they're painful. That's not the way God designed this. When God created this world and and man, everything was perfect. The first people, they came and disobeyed God because they wanted to establish their own kingdoms. And we don't want to give them a bad rap. We do the same things with our lives. We pursue other things than God, like our our big houses and our marriages. We try and have this this certain job. We, We want to boost our own ego with what we can accomplish. We call this sin, and you and I still fall short of God's standard to this day. His word says it for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Sin took us from God's design into brokenness. And if you were here when Pastor Monty was here, you might hear some of these things. We're really just walking through those three circles he shared with you guys. And from brokenness, and we're talking about this place of feeling that void in your life. You know there's something missing, you're pursuing it. And we try the things like relationships, money, those jobs I was talking about. For some of us, our kids are how we try and fill the void. We look at clothes or our talents, we try and build ourselves up with our knowledge and how wise we are. Some people turn to drugs. Some people turn to food. They're trying to fill that void, but you're never gonna be able to fill it because it's a God-sized hole. And that spot is made for you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your Savior. There's only one way to be right with God and experience the goodness that he desires for us. Romans 6, 23, it tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift that we talked about, a free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus came down from heaven. He gave up his throne to become a man, lived a perfect life, and he died for the sins that we committed so that we could be again with him. He lived the life we could not live. He died the death that we deserved. And he rose again in three days and he conquered sin and death so that we could be with him. This is the good news. When I've been talking about the gospel, that's what I've been talking about. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. And the only way to get from brokenness to this gospel, the Bible says, 
is in Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't have to fill out an application to be a Christian and hope you get accepted. It's these simple words. Repent, admit that you have sin and turn away from them, and believe that Jesus died for your sin to pay for those, uh, to pay for those sins and raise from the dead. That's it, and you'll be saved. And then one day, every believer will be in heaven. Everything will be perfect again. God is gonna create a new heaven and a new earth without sin, without the uh, effects of sin. Until that day, what we do here on earth, so we continue to pursue God and pursue his ways by being transformed by his word. That's talking about being fruitful and pursuing the lost world around us. So as I come to a close, what do I want you to do? What do I literally want you to do? Believers in this room, I want you to follow Paul's lesson. I want you to go. I want you to send. And I want you to serve. Share this good news with the world. Live as the unified body of Christ globally, not just in this church, not just in this city, but across this world. Live so that Christ's name will be known. And for that person I talked to in the room that does not know Jesus, I simply want you to receive this good news. I want you to confess your sins. Believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as enough to cover your sins and declare him as your Lord. It's that simple. Let's pray.